You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Knife here with always typical lydia today's show we're going to be doing the undisputed horror classic 1980s friday the 13th we have to specify these days that it's the 1980s friday the 13th because you might get the remake because they just called that friday the 13th too yeah grand apologies to people who thought we might have covered the remake and grand apologies to people who are looking forward to any sort of real jason Voorhees or kane hodder references through this because it's not happening no nary a hotter to be found <laughs> nary a hotter to be had yeah mm-hmm. so we as you guys know have put a moratorium on a lot of our big horror franchises. And I guess it was that idea that we've said this many times in commentary track episodes, which by the way, this is about not really having anything to say, but if we're going to be talking about this movie, we're going to spin it up and we're going to give you our thoughts as we're watching it. And normally we save this for October. It's a special thing to do. People look forward to it, but there's two reasons why we're doing it this time. Because it's episode 107. And I mean, what better thing to do for 107? It's it's a little bit of a milestone to have for 107. <laughs> it's also my birthday request. Now, a lot of times we've in the past, we've done requests for Lydia's birthday. Her birthday is in December. And I'm a man of the people. And I love to make people happy. And so it's the only thing that I can think to give Lydia that she would actually want because she's not down on physical things occupying space. No, but and it's a great way for me to squeeze clown movies into this. <laughs> Because we've got a slew of them coming. We really, really do. But this was my opportunity. And Lydia said, anything you want to do, anything you want to do, you can do it. And and so I really hummed and hawed over it. I thought about doing a lot of classic films that I like that I don't know. I don't think you would necessarily veto them, but... We just, it, it just kind of seemed far too indulgent. Not really, man. Like your birth, if you wanted to gorillas in the mist, have at her. <laughs> Night of the Bloody Apes. Or, yeah. Whatever or you want to do. And so I thought that it would be fun to do Friday the 13th. And then I sort of assumed that it would be a commentary track because it's a big film. And Lydia who does not like to do commentary tracks, guys. I cannot fucking stress this enough because we can't edit anything. Yeah, and I fucking hate Friday the 13th. <laughs> Yeah, no, I that's a lie. But it's not a lie that I don't like commentary tracks. Yeah, yeah, it's true. She doesn't like commentary tracks, but she grins and barrets just for me. Mm-hmm. And and for you guys, too. But mostly for me. And I thought that it would be really fun to do. And also, the second reason that we're going to be doing it is because there's just... There's so many big horror movies that we found that we really want to get to tackling. And waiting all the time for October can be a little arduous sometimes when we just want to talk about something we want to talk about a nightmare on elm street movie we want to talk about a hellraiser movie sometimes we want to talk about some of these biggies there's um, so many of them and i mean if i die next year then we wouldn't have gotten to enough of them i know i know so here's here's the way that we're gonna do it we're gonna do this we're gonna let you know when we start the episode or we're gonna let you know when we start the movie and we're gonna count down we're gonna hit play and that's your opportunity to spin up your copy of friday the 13th now 
Just to let you guys know, we're watching the Paramount box set that came out a few years ago mm-hmm. that basically it was it's the box set that says Friday the 13th from Crystal Lake to Manhattan. So it gives you an idea that we're it's the box set containing the first eight Friday the 13th films, i.e. the ones that Paramount distributed themselves because Jason Goes to Hell and onward, it moved over to New Line. Now, in a bunch of legal shit that's been going on, I think it's back at Paramount or Warner Brothers or something. I don't know. Disney. Fine. And and then, so there you have it. Now, um, Friday the 13th for me was, is probably, although I, I always hate putting my flag in the sand, probably my favorite slasher franchise. And it's weird because when I was younger, I would have definitely said Nightmare. But I, for some reason, as I've gotten older, I seem to like the Friday the 13th movies more. And I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because I really like slashers and it's it's very traditional slasher in all the ways that people like to poke fun at. It's got hot teenagers and camps and tits and knives and everything that that people complain about with the subgenre. <laughs> yeah, everything that Siskel and Ebert complained about. Yeah. But tits and knives, what more do you need? Yeah, yeah, right. And and it's definitely one of those franchises that I, I pay close attention to. And how come sometimes I, I feel as though people have a hard time in the modern day getting right even even though, even without the, the 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 legal disputes between Victor Miller and Sean Cunningham going on these days, the idea of the axed Friday the Thirteenth movie that they were making a couple of well for years, but then when they released what the script was, I was like, this is awful. This is fucking terrible. Why do you have to like fucking? Well, how is this so hard for people? That's why I don't mind the remake because it's just fucking. It's just a stupid hockey mask and a killer and boobs and why does this have to be i don't know everyone is always trying to do a thing with something that can't hold it you it can't hold the thing that you're trying to do with it it's just a slasher movie it's fucking fun as hell just do that i don't understand anyways that's the whole other thing but when i was a kid it's an understatement to say jason Voorhees is a famous character because i was aware of who that was without having ever seen a fucking frame of any of them i was very young we're talking elementary school and people were talking about Jason. You saw the hockey mask and people knew that it was Jason. I'm really glad that you mentioned that in elementary school, because there is like a small age gap between Wes and I and our, our experiences with this film. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't top of mind or tip of tongue when people would say slasher Jason when I was young because I came, I was five when this shit came out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, I remember grade six very distinctly on a Friday the 13th and any Friday the 13th from grade five to six, at least in this particular school. And I don't know if it continued on after, but kids would dress up as Jason Voorhees. Oh, yeah. There would be about six kids in hockey masks. Oh, fuck yeah. You could get you could get that Halloween cheap Jason mask and machete at Giant Tiger. Yeah. You, you could just get that. So it's fucking buck wild. And, and, and that really plants it into your brain i feel which is why the universal monsters can can be around for so long even though someone may not necessarily have ever seen bella lugosi's performance of dracula you know that fucking performance even without having ever watched the movie jason Voorhees is the same thing and the fun part that most horror fans know is that that version of jason that everyone is familiar with 
is the third fucking movie into the franchise. Because we have Bag Jason in the second one. Yeah. And then we got Dream Jason in this one. Arya Lehman's Jason that just comes out of the boat. Other than that, you know, spoilers, he's not in it. <laughs> sorry about that, guys. For oh, those sorry. who haven't seen Friday the 13th before. <laughs> you know what? It has happened. Yeah. But when I was a kid, I was familiar with the Nintendo game. That was that was what I really knew. I, I'm a, fr- a friend of mine had it, and I, so I know... The NES Jason that that's, gets variants on everything these days. That was the, the first time I really saw it. But the box art, which was really the really nasty, messed up Jason Voorhees. And then, of course, I would see through issues of Fangoria, which I that I was getting semi-regularly. Well, my dad would, would pick them up for me at South Bank News. And I would see images of this new Friday the 13th movie coming out. Jason goes to hell. I wonder what that would be like. <laughs> oh man, that is, it's just adorable. Like, uh, and I try to never like. I'm I'm not that type of person to be like, yeah. Well, I saw it when I was X amount of years old, and I saw it from the beginning of the franchise, and I went to this theater to see it when oh, yeah. it first came out, and like, which is which I didn't, but like, the, it's not, it's very interesting to to hear the introduction to the franchise that was like old hat to mm-hmm. people who were uh, who were older at the time. Um, that the like Jason goes to hell. Wonder what that's all about. Like it's just adorable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it wasn't until I was just in junior high, and it was we had cable and we had the movie network, and the movie network had this other channel that you got with it called Movie Picks. Movie Picks showed hits from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. It was all movies like that, uncut, commercial-free, exactly as they were meant to be watched. It's a pretty cool fucking station. I don't know if it still exists. But it did at the time, and over the summer, one summer, every Friday, they showed two of these pictures. And I knew it was coming, and so I was really excited. And Friday in my house was pizza night. And so we would, I would come home uh, from martial arts. I was doing jujitsu at the time. I would come home, grab my pizza, head downstairs into the basement, my dank basement, all my fucking VHS horror tapes all over the place. I can picture I can smell it. Right? Yeah. And I would sit in this big lazy boy and I would watch two Friday the 13th movies until they got to Jason Goes to Hell. And that was the last one that they showed. It was really fucking cool. And I was and I remember being feeling so accomplished at the end of all of that 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 was I had seen a franchise, like a horror movie franchise, and I had seen it pretty much from beginning to end and all uncut and commercial free and, and, and shit like that. And I remember fucking loving them. And for a while there, that was my favorite routine. I was busy every Friday. I had no plans. Even if someone were to, for some reason, miraculously want to have plans with me. Nope, can't be done. I'm going to be watching Friday the 13th, ladies and gentlemen. That is what I'm doing. And so it stuck with me as a very nostalgic, happy time in my life where I was just young and and, and, and being engrossed in horror and having this nice little routine. And so I really, really like that. And so every summer... I try to watch these movies. I try to watch as many of them as I can. And I I really genuinely love this first movie. 
almost, and I watch it almost in a way of how fucking different it is, but at the same time, the same as all the other ones. Because you just take that one element out of it, and it's not Jason Voorhees, but his mother. And it does really change it. And also how you're looking at this movie as they're building this language for this very specific subgenre. Because 1978, John Carpenter makes Halloween. And that is the the blueprint for slashers for most people. It was so successful. And Sean, Sean Cunningham made, made no bones about the fact that he was going to rip it off. And beforehand, we had Black Christmas, of course, and Texas Chainsaw. But when it really comes to regurgitating these themes over and over again at such a fast pace, nothing has ever really come close. Because it almost seemed like every year there was another Friday the 13th coming out for a while. And those tension building tricks that they use in Halloween are more evident in this. And yeah, there's other slashers and there's other things that would influence a film like this for sure. But... Not only because of Mr. Cunningham blatantly ripping off Halloween the way he, he says he did and did. You can see a lot more between the two. I was going to wear my Halloween shirt, my Haddonfield High shirt today. But I thought that was blasphemy because this is Friday the 13th. God damn it. Yeah. Two very separate things. This is like Superman and Spider-Man or whatever, if you want to put it in a comic human <laughs> term things. But like. Yeah. So Marvel and DC. That's what it feels like. Oh, yeah. That's oh, what yeah. it feels like with Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees. Yeah, I yeah, and I definitely feel like kind of a slut of the horror world because I just like them all. Yeah, yeah, and you don't have to play favorites. And and like you had said, you would would have named Freddy as your favorite. Yeah, as a child, but like this has transplanted that. But you do like them all quite equally. You yeah. are a horror slut. We've <laughs> talked about this before, Wes. <laughs> but yeah, um, it's not fair to poo-poo one for the other because they all do share such a common fount anyway yeah yeah and i really i'm in the headspace of when i'm sitting down and watching friday the 13th i'm just i fucking love these movies oh my god here comes this scene oh my god oh i love this character i love this scene i love this fucking franchise Mm, i love this so much and then when I'm watching Nightmare on Elm Street, I'm like, oh, my God, I love this movie so much. This is such a good franchise. And when I'm watching Halloween, oh, my God, this is like quintessential slasher. This is so good. I love everything about it. Oh, I love this scene. I just, the second it's in front of me, I just love it. And 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 so when you take me out of it, so when people even ask me what my top five, top ten horror movies are, I, I look at Friday the 13th as this huge homogenized thing. Where I don't know which one I like the best. I can, I can, I, cause even with the ones where I think I don't like them, there's scenes in it that you like. I know. I was watching, what was it, Jason Lives, where it's not even Jason Voorhees. And, I don't know, wait, the, 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 a new chapter or something like that, the fifth one. And, and I was like, I don't even like this one. But this, this one's like the, the, definitely the worst one of them all. And I watched it like last year. I was like, fuck, I like this one too. So it's not, it has nothing to do with that. I like Jason Takes Manhattan. I don't care that he's, that it doesn't really all take place in New York. I like it. It's fucking good. Uh, the only favorite I have out of all of this is the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's sort of like Halloween. I sort of think of for one and two mm-hmm. as the Michael Myers story that I like so very much. Mm-hmm. There's things in part two that I like 
more than any horror film on the entire planet because Halloween 2 is my favorite. Mm -hmm, But Halloween 1 and 2 I sort of think of as one whole. Same Uh, with Friday 13th. 1 and 2 is really the thing. And that's what we we had talked about doing 1 and 2 for a Halloween special. Mm -hmm. So we'll have something else now. But this opens us up to being able to do part 2, 4, Five, whatever, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. whatever you want to do. Or four, uh, quite specifically, I want to get to four. Yeah, four is like, and, and again, four is fantastic. That's, and, a lo- that's a huge fan favorite, too. Yeah, so, like, yeah. we, we can uh, hit the second one sometime soon. Yeah, I mean, the the, the second one, uh, Ginny, is one of my favorite final girls ever. Yeah, and, same here. And, and, uh, that, and even the, the bagged head Jason, the thing that I love about that performance and that iteration of that character is we never really see a performance precisely like that again. This is, that is a Jason Voorhees that moves and behaves in a way that we don't ever see again. And, and so it's just so wholly unique to that film. Cause by the third one, he's just different. He's just, not only is it a different actor portraying the character, but just the, the logic around the character is changing where, in the second one, he really is just kind of a backwoods, hole-in-the-ground guy with a bag on his head. And you believe that he is a mortal person. Mm-hmm. By the third one, you don't believe that that's a mortal person at all. So there's a lot to talk about with all these films. But we are going to be focusing on the first Friday the 13th today. We're going to take you scene by scene. And it's going to be fun. It is. It's, and what else is fun is the video game. Have you played any of the new... I have not. Yeah, the Friday 13th, the game, is super fun. I've been playing it with Chris from Bind Torture Cast. There is a Bind Torture Cast club Ooh. on Xbox. So if you want to log in and, and check it out, and mm-hmm. maybe you'll catch some of us playing it. Me and Chris and Ian actually had a session the other day, which was super fun. Because just getting to know the game, we don't have a lot of time to devote to it. Uh, I wish we did because mm-hmm. it is pretty – it's not that it's a vast game. The maps are the maps. The maps are probably very accurate to the films. There's a lot of things very accurate to the films, but they do take the pick of the litter from many installations to this franchise. And you get a nice mix match of all the things that you love about Jason, mm-hmm. even Baghead Jason. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. They, it's, it's a really fucking fun game, and I can't wait to see more of it. I can't wait for the single player to come out and to see what they're going to do with that. Yeah, it's it's super fun. And to think that I came from being, you know, in grade four or so, three or four, when I first watched a Friday the 13th movie, and I watched part two first and then part one mm-hmm. and then part one and two and then part one and over again. And then, <laughs> yeah, um, me and my friend Terry became super instant huge fans of Friday the 13th when we were very, very young because it was one of our friends, Sabrina, me, Sabrina, and Terry became the huge fans. Our friend Chrissy wasn't such a big horror fan. I think they scared her. But it was Sabrina's brother was a huge horror fan, and he was older than us. So he was the one uh, talking to us about Freddy Gloves and Jason Masks and had all this paraphernalia and the films Mm -hmm. available. And we would rent them religiously, steal them from her brother and watch them. So yeah, we became very big Friday the 13th fans. And to think that this movie would stick with me the way that it did as a kid to the point where I get to play a video game mm-hmm. online that really mirrors and has a lot of the same feeling. And Friday the 13th is such a fun film, but scary at the same time, like genuinely scary with genuine tension that when you take all of that to the game, the game is crazy fun. Mm-hmm. And even Chris had said one time when we we're playing it, he's like, 
I don't know if we're like, we're not following any sort of storyline or trying to do any sort of like obstacle or trying to like accomplish any specific goal. He's basically making up a horror movie as he goes along. And that's what it feels like. It feels like you're making up a horror movie. And it's super fun to be cowering. It's super fun to be stalking. All of it is just insanely fun. I think a lot of it has to do with the fun that we had when we were first introduced to this franchise. Mm -hmm. So that's my treatise on fun. It is. And and it is just a pure fun experience. And I'm super fucking excited. So to let you guys know, right now we are sitting at the old timey, grainy Paramount logo. Yeah. I think we got about, what, four seconds on the clock there? Yeah, we got four seconds. You want to hit go? Uh, so yeah, I'll count down to three, two, one, and go. And we're off and running. Paramount, Gulf Western Company. That always makes me feel good. It's like mom's home cooking, just looking at that old Paramount scene. Sean Cunningham film. Sean S. Cunningham. Yeah, it's true. You got to really make sure that you leave all that extra stuff in there. <laughs> Because, like, you, you got to, like, know which Sean Cunningham you're talking about. That's why I'm always thinking Sean Cunningham because I've got <laughs> Stephen King's Christine okay. in my head. Or that's uh, Arnie Cunningham, they kept calling him. Um, and I'm sorry, Mr. Cunningham, but your name is Forever Cunningham. <laughs> this is one of the things that I never really realized that the opening sequence was taking place in 1958. These were, like, the little details that you knew who Jason Voorhees was and you knew all this extra stuff. And even going into this film, I unfortunately even knew who the killer was going to be in this first movie. But I, di- I didn't know that there was such a... Originally, I didn't know there was such a time difference between when this happened and when our story begins. This has a lot of the same sort of feeling to me as the first time I watched Sleepaway Camp when we didn't know the twist. And mm-hmm. there, the internet wasn't there to tell everybody the twist. Yeah. So unless you had somebody in your face. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. as a kid, you wouldn't be buying horror magazines. You wouldn't know these things. Like when yeah. you're very young, the Angela twist blew our minds. Mm-hmm. This blew our minds. And then Jason Voorhees himself became a campfire story, right? Yeah. Much yeah. like he is. Mm-hmm. And... It was it was extremely effective, mm-hmm. and I, I feel kind of sad that you had to go into a lot of older horror films knowing. The yeah, twist. Ma- magazines and the internet were around, and films like Scream ruin it for people. They yeah. let you know that Jason wasn't the killer in the first movie. <laughs> they do quite. It, it's telegraphed very clearly. Yeah, and that movie came out when I was in junior high, so it was in and around that time where that would have spoiled it for some people. For all the people that are so worried about spoiler alerts and get angry at podcasts that spoil everything or people who are having general conversation and then get actually genuinely angry because someone spoiled it or will avoid the internet because of Walking Dead or whatever the fuck and they don't want it spoiled for them. Well, fuck, man. This day and age, everything is spoiled. Just live with it. Can you think of anything more dorky than just sitting around with your friends <laughs> singing Kumbaya? Kumbaya. <laughs> It strikes me now. I think at the time I might have thought some of these kids were pretty goddamn cool. And they're mm-hmm. singing Tom Dooley. My um, mom and her brother used to sing this. Oh my God. <laughs> but yeah, now looking back, they even seem 20 times more dorky. <laughs> I know, right? Barry and Claudette, the first people we will see killed in a Friday the 13th movie. Spoiler. <laughs> Thanks, Wes. And it's funny, the yellow, when people think about if someone is going to be cosplaying as a, a Camp Crystal Lake counselor, 
in my head, it's always got to be the yellow tops. I know you can get t-shirts in a, in a myriad of different colors, but I always just think, no, 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 no. it's got to be the yellow tops. It's got to be the yellow. And what um, I'd watched some of uh, Crystal Lake Memories. And I've watched other, like his name was Jason, other, I want to just call them behind the mask films a whole mm-hmm. bunch of documentaries and every tidbit that there is about slashers someone inevitably talks about the genesis of the friday the 13th and uh, apparently using the yellow slickers and the yellow shirts was because it was filmed so much in the dark and mm-hmm. it's extremely effective and i like that the yellow what yellow does to human memory and what yellow signifies mm-hmm. uh, and what like friendship and purity and all the things that you could psychologically pack into the yellow but they of course, simply used it because it's eye-catching. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like in Texas Chainsaw, when she's wearing the white pants at night, it was specifically to catch in in the the darker night scenes and stuff like that. Yeah, this, this is um, yeah. Sean Cunningham is definitely mining a lot of stuff. Victor Miller, who did the the scripts, and also Sean Cunningham also has uncredited contributions to the script as well as um, uh, Ron Kurtz who also contributed to to the script as well. They had been making movies for years, none of them as successful. And then all of a sudden getting the idea to rip off Halloween and in the best way possible, you basically just take an idea that works. Bye, Barry. <laughs> Sorry about your luck, buddy. <laughs> Sorry about your luck, buddy. Yeah. I always think about this scene with uh, Claudette just very poorly trying to get in and around somebody and more throwing a box towards where not really at the camera, but where someone from behind the camera might be. And then you have like that sweet still frame. Lots of slashers ape this too. It's like you stop on someone screaming and then you go to your title treatment. This title treatment. Slashers even like Rob Zombie makes a career uh, of that. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Um, this title treatment, one of the things that I remember, this always makes me think about that, the fact that Friday the 13th has, I'm going to conservatively, conservatively say, one of the worst trailers ever. I and a lot of the worst, a lot of the worst everything, when it was first coming out, the, the worst trailer, some of the worst taglines, like one of the taglines I even wrote down was, you may only see it once, but that will be enough. <laughs> I can just picture that in that 80s horror trailer voice. And it's like, what? what is that supposed to fucking mean? Mm-hmm. Hey, Tom Savini. Tom Savini riding high off of Dawn of the Dead. Harry Manfredini. I actually, I, I do. That is one of those names when it comes to soundtrack. Aside from watching an actor and being like, I'll watch this because so-and-so's in it. I'll, I'll watch it because Harry Manfredini does the, the soundtrack. And I had picked up Beg. I, oh. I don't recommend Bag. Yeah, I know. I remember you telling me about that. Yeah, but it was one of those things. I was totally sold on a name. Yeah, I mean, th- that's definitely one of those things. I mean, his contribution to this, of course, is the iconic... And a lot of like the score entirely, because a lot of it does stick with you. When you, when you rewatch it, you realize how much of this music sticks with you. Oh, it's absolutely crazy. Especially... The the shock sounds like that those high violins more it's, so than Psycho and they do oh, draw yeah. some Psycho there is oh, yeah, quite a sure. lot of Psycho references more Psycho references uh, than I even recalled but every time I watch it there's something slightly new right a little mm-hmm. tidbit I can pick up as I build more my own horror lexicon right mm-hmm, absolutely so when they came up with the idea to do this the idea was try to find a fairly inexpensive place to shoot. 
This movie was made for $500,000, which, believe it or not, back in those days, still made it a pretty small picture because all your cost is going towards things like film stock and, and stuff like that. It was just more expensive to release pictures back then. It seems to me that there was a lot of attention paid to lighting, more so than um, a smaller picture, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they do a lot of what appears to be natural light. I don't know if they're using a lot of reflectors, but they do rely heavily on natural light. And they rely heavily, like at night, mm -hmm. they seem to just have like, they, they have luck where there's not just mystery lights. Mm -hmm. There is usually a reason for the light or the lack thereof, which is really impeccable attention paid to this and that's one thing that a lot of horror movies don't get enough credence for is that they are made very expertly and they are made with a high production value it's mm -hmm. not just put a bunch of it is just put a bunch of kids in a summer camp and film them and yeah. get a killer to run around killing them all but it's so much more than that because these things are impeccably lit impeccably framed the color and the set direction and the set decoration is all on point yeah, absolutely. Speaking of uh, psycho references, shades of uh, Janet Lee, the introduction of the character of Anne for this, mm -hmm. um, our way into the story, at least leading us to Camp Crystal Lake. I always thought it was weird. I guess it's just more reflected of the time that you're just going to let a stranger just drive you to some place. You have no idea where you are. I guess she just hitchhiked the entire way to the forests of New Jersey. This is where this... Uh, was shot the one time that I went up into New Jersey uh, when I was dating someone from the United States. I really wanted to go see, because there are things that are left, the diner and, and, and stuff like that. And I don't know if the camp's still there. I think the camp might have been moved. But um, I do know that um, a lot of it was still there and I could never uh, manage to get myself to go. I wonder if it has a death curse. <laughs> Ralph, one of my favorite favorite characters i always think it's crazy that when he's helping her into the truck and he just grabs her ass and like pushes her in that way well it's like pushing a kid on a swing i don't think oh, there's maybe. anything like too creepy about it there's not much too creepy about him really at all which is kind of surprising for the time and looking at it from today's eyes you, you would expect there to be some sort of level of creepiness in this but there's really not it mm. is genuinely safe at the time or feels safe to walk into a diner and be like can i get a ride yeah, I'll yeah. give you a lift. Sure, I'll hop into your truck, random strange human. <laughs> this is one of the. This is the building of this plot, really. This farmer talking to Annie, just trying to, basically trying to convince her not to go take this job. The idea that they're reopening this thing. One of the things that he says that I always thought was really weird was. There was a bunch of fires. There was people that were killed. Water went bad. How does that happen? It's a death curse. It's the death curse. Yeah, um, it does. It is a death curse on mm -hmm. this place. And he's not doing a very good job of talking out of it. And you don't get that thing that has become synonymous with these sorts of horror films where they walk into the diner and all the locals are like, oh, you don't want to go there. We're not going to tell you where it is. Or if it's um, some sort of like werewolf or, or vampire film where the locals are deathly afraid of the area, they they seem to have some uncom uncomfortability. Why do I always come to that word? They do seem to have some discomfort mm -hmm. with it. Yeah. But they're not like straight up telling you not to go there or not giving you information. He's offering to drive her straight out there, you know, like. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so it seems like every 10 years or so they try to do something with this camp and it doesn't seem to work. And this is letting you know that right now they're trying to rebuild this stuff. This guy just thinks that it's completely useless. And he's coming here to be the cook for all of these people. She's going to be cooking their food. Mm-hmm. Seems like a good idea. I can't imagine wanting to do that for a summer, but she talks about she she talks about this being her a dream of hers. So they're really they're building her backstory. They're building the backstory of Camp Crystal Lake. They're giving you the idea about where she's going now and why. And it is interesting because it is very psycho. Although, of course, unlike having the restraint of Alfred Hitchcock, we're not going to wait 45 minutes for something to happen to this poor girl. No, we've already we've already had our taste of blood, luckily, right? Yeah, yeah that's true. With our 1958 flashback. It's weird that he would only take her this far when she's still not at Camp Crystal Lake, which is where she wants to go. He's got stuff to do. He's got uh, some oil deliveries to make, Wes. He was literally just sitting there at the diner. He doesn't have anything to do. That was his lunch break. He's an American original. He's got to get back to work. It's the dream, man. Yeah. I. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Yeah. I, I, I guess, to me, I, again, this is one of those parts of old slashes that I find fascinating. Just the cavalier attitude people have with traveling. Like just hopping in the car and going for a drive freaks you out, let alone people hopping into other cars and going for a drive. Yeah. Oh, Kevin Bacon just looking, got his stink face on. Does he ever talk about being in this film? I've never really like heard an he does. interview. Yeah. Yeah, he does. He, I, he, he talks about it in the same way that Johnny Depp talks about being in Nightmare on Elm Street. Just, it's like not dismissive, but also, yeah, I did that movie. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah, I've it's, done hundreds since. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it is kind of that. Each one of these camp characters that we're going to be introduced are going to be repeated over the course of all of these sequels. There's always going to be characters that more or less represent what these people represent. I think the idea with these camp characters is to make them generic enough, but have like one personality trait. Say the cool guy, the dependable all-American guy, the funny guy, the hot chick the more conservative chick, right? And as these movies progressed over the years, you would start inserting modern things too. Because like by the time you're into the, the late 80s, into the 90s, here's your like punk chick. And here's like, you know what I mean? You're people... super uber stoner. It's yeah, not just su- enough that some people might smoke a bit of reefer here and there. Oh, yeah. You've got to have that super fucking shaggy and Scooby style person. Well, and the... they all become a little more hard boiled as time goes on because it's so much easier, mm-hmm. I guess, to not have any blur between any of them. Because right here, I'm seeing like what, four Barney Rubbles, even a female <laughs> Barney Rubble. You've got a Barnett, a That's... Barney Rubblet. That's your horrible, horrible slur. <laughs> Say four Barney Rubbles right there. A long-haired female Barney Rubble. A perfect female Barney Rubble. Is that Alice to you? Is yeah. the female Barney Rubble? <laughs> Look at her. Look at her. She's a female Barney Rubble. Ned is hilarious to me. He looks like Screech. So it's like four Barney Rubbles in a Screech. Oh, man. Ned is possibly one of the least funny, funny characters in these fucking movies. There's a few confusing shots like that, and I guess time had passed, but it's funny because Alice was, like, down 
with the other Barney Rubbles. And then he walks around the corner and there she is nailing up an eaves trough. And it's just like, wow, you can just morph around this place, can't you? Yeah. Which is a cool skill in the video game that Jason can do. He can just show up. Oh, really? Places, which is, makes sense. If that is an actual power Jason has, why he can arrange bodies in the mm-hmm. other films. Like, there's some body arrangement in this that Pamela does, but like, Jason is my is my hero as far as body arrangement. Oh my God, absolutely. Yeah. But there's another scene in this where it's just they get their angle and their camera position flipped so you get somebody heading in a direction they're not heading in and it just does that. I don't know the term for it because I'm not a filmmaker, but it, that like, you get very displaced as an audience member for a moment. Every scene, once they get to the camp, reminds me of growing up in my cottage. It's crazy mm-hmm. to me, everything from the wood that has peat moss grown onto it to the sounds. I mean, we're listening to this without the sounds on, but, and it's funny because every time I go to my cottage, I think to myself, oh my God, like it doesn't look anything. Like nothing here really looks like anything in Friday the 13th. But this place so reminds me of it, especially the interiors of some of the cabins really reminds me of growing up. And so I think the the amount of nostalgia that I feel for watching these movies is absolutely insane. Now we have like that extra plot point here of Steve trying to convince Alice to stay on for whatever reason, seems like this is not really what she had expected. This is him putting his, the moves on her. He's trying to convince her to, to, for to Alice to stick around. Mostly I feel to, to make his move on her. Yeah, I like that he's being restrained, though, because, like, mm. I, I don't know if it's just, you know, 10 years later when men in these sorts of films became so much more pushy and mm. women acquiesced so much more readily to that sort of behavior. And it became much more like boobs and blood and, mm. and bikinis because, like, they're swimsuits in this, but they're fairly demure. A mm. lot of the sexuality in these films are very, well, in this film in part two are are far more demure mm-hmm. than what slashers became, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but So I really do appreciate Steve's attitude. Mm-hmm. He, he basically is just talking to her, trying to convince her to stay, and then at the very end of the conversation, just does a little reach to maybe try to bridge the gap of maybe interested in you more than just a professional thing. He's like, I'm just going to make my move here. The idea of of keeping these kids fairly isolated was pretty smart. However, they sabotaged themselves in several scenes, one of which is coming up in a little bit. But having Steve constantly leaving them on their own so they can be kids, I suppose. But also you don't get a really big sense from later additions to the script, like the police officer and stuff like that, which were not Victor Miller's original. Victor Miller wanted this to be really a closed space. A yeah, very... no adults, no cops, no nothing. They're mm-hmm. cut off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, having Steve having to go into town and, you know, when Annie gets here, because that's the thing, like currently they're wondering where Annie is, but they're also all so fucking busy right now because he basically puts them instantaneously to work. Like, I don't think anyone's really had more than a couple of minutes. To just relax. Look at this fucking shit. No, how can you relax with this goddamn archery range run amok? Ned is absolutely fucking crazy. Yeah. Like, he would have to... The idea of him, as a joke, shooting an arrow at somebody, and then 
she letting him know, oh yeah, I'm mad at you, but it is kind of funny. I'm like, no, it's not. This guy's a fucking prick. Well, he she had like a good foot from the bullseye, and he seems to be a pretty good shot. So I guess, but she doesn't. She doesn't know that, and he easily could have left. I enjoy this, and I can't say that it's a tiny clue, because I can't look back and try and see how many clues there are. I'm sure people have written stacks. I'm sure I could go upstairs and read my bookshelf for, like, oh, basically any book up there will have all sorts of Friday the 13th stuff Mm -hmm. written in it. But as far as clues as to the gender of the killer, yeah, I find that this conversation, if there's any clues to be had, and there really aren't many, if, if, if I'm just making stuff up, and seeing things that aren't there. Um, right away, she starts talking, not only just about her job, but talking about kids in mm-hmm. sort of a camaraderie way yeah. with this other person that you don't get to see. Mm-hmm. It just strikes me as a conversation that a female and a female would have more readily. Mm-hmm. And it's a, a big difference from the conversation she was having in the truck mm-hmm. with an older gentleman. Mm-hmm. And you see this Jeep careening around. You're, you're going to be that sexist bastard. And assume it's a guy driving it right Mm -hmm. but the conversation they're having is very different yeah and up up until this moment she was pretty relaxed because she is kind of giving a lot of information about her backstory basically Mm -hmm. um far more than with the the trucker or the the farmer like her um her desire to work with kids and how much she likes kids which just isn't a conversation it's not a conversation i typically have with people but it does it strikes me as a more Mm -hmm. female and female conversation yeah especially given the time where people were a lot more um stuck in their gender roles right yeah annie will not be fucking tame though she will not stay in that green truck she's out of there we've talked on a previous episode about jumping from moving vehicles yeah not a fun scene um she's lucky that she wasn't that much more broken right but yeah she does seem realistic like sufficiently hurt for what she did i mean but this this sets up so much for jason in in particular Mm -hmm. even though it's not jason but you know like friday 13th films and slashers how many half wounded women running through the forest do we need to see more, lots more, because I love it. You know, I love it, and I love it because of this. And this is the first, not the first film that ever did it by any means, but it's the first one where you are really invested in this and that did it so, so well. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've been in forests that look like this since we were kids. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Every and, and this is where it really gets you. And it's the sounds, the sounds of every tree branch, every every leaf, everything as she's moving through there, accompanied by the score in the scene, of course, but like mm-hmm. all of these scenes, like you can, we've all been in woods like this. We all can like, we know how this place smells. And when we're in the woods after this, you are haunted by it because you just think, oh my God, a killer is going to get me in the woods. And boom, right there. Very nice knife. Oh yeah, very nice. You know, on the Blu-ray, you can definitely see there's um, there's like a a little bit more. uh, uh, It's a little paler. You can tell that there's like a little bit of an apparatus over her neck or something like that, Mm -hmm. which is why it's not always good to go super fucking HD with these things. But I do love the the Blu-ray. I got that Steelbook one that's just absolutely gorgeous. So it's cool. This is like one of the worst somersaults I've ever seen. This is the idea of just having kids frolicking in the water with the floating docks and all that kind of shit. Kevin Bacon wearing 
his like European style bathing suit. Scandalous. I know, right? Scandalous. <laughs> There's this I mean, they're wearing a pretty big ring in that scene. <laughs> yeah, just that hand, you notice that too. Yeah. yeah, I've I've always noticed that and I'm wondering if uh I mean, look, men can have big rings like that, too, but it does look like a woman's ring to me. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of hard to say because I definitely... It's gold and it has, like, a big jewel on it. So, I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a woman's ring. What it reminds me of is a class ring. Yeah. Every time I've seen it, and even, like, later on with their flub, when you see the ring a lot better... Um, it reminded me of a class ring, which generally could belong to either gender because... The the whole like going steady thing when a guy gives a girl a class ring and you start to think like maybe it's another student mm-hmm. out there or someone who had survived from 1958 or something like that. If you're even bothering to put any of this together, because there's people who would watch this and think it's Steve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would seem like a weird fucked up game that he was playing. And the, the real answer would be why this is mm-hmm. Ned playing is. I'm drowning routine. The only thing that <laughs> I always think is, is funny about this is Alice is told to go get a life preserver and it's like useless. Absolutely. And by the time it gets thrown in the water and pulled right out, which is hilarious to yeah. me. Yeah. I'm, I always think that's so fucking funny. And I guess it was in the script and they're just going to do it. Like, here's a life preserver. Like, He's right there. And like, oh, okay, I guess this doesn't really matter anymore. Just get rid of it. I would have really liked a line because like they're, they're camp counselors and there is something there there is more to being a camp counselor than fucking dicking around in your in your tight little speedos and your bikinis they typically do have some sort of training Mm -hmm. and they they do react very quickly like i I would have appreciated one line about like well that's our first aid drill for the day that's our man overboard drill for the day ha Mm -hmm. ha ha aside from the like i'm gonna trick her into kissing me or something you know which is funny whatever but i would have really appreciated a line just to give them a little more i don't know the word i'm looking for that's why i hate these god damn commentary tracks (laughs) it's nothing to worry about but after that scene is done we realize ned's just playing possums like that scene out of sandlot this is a scene that I'm surprised more people don't bitch about don't bitch about really seriously and the fake machete real snake yeah fake snake real machete no it's a real machete and a real snake yeah and it's this weird thing because i mean horror fans large in part seem to be animal lovers and really complain heavily when there's actual on-screen animal cruelty and and it's not just because oh it's a snake so people don't care because cannibal holocaust has a dead snake in it too and everyone really cares about that and for years I was convinced that this snake was fake. Yeah. yeah. I, because, and the only reason why I saw, I thought that was because I had never once ever heard anyone ever, compl- no one has ever suggested cutting the snake scene. I've never heard anyone complain about the snake scene. And you maybe just never thought about it because I never really thought about it too much. Um, until like, yeah, I, I did encounter a lot of friends of mine that are very sensitive about animals and specifically the horse falling overboard in the ring remake. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember you telling me about that. That'll always stick with me for with the, the time that I 
was not accused, but sort of accused of tricking someone into watching a film with animal cruelty when they're an animal lover, all things I didn't know. But it is a very obviously real snake. And no one really does complain about it. And we weren't watching this in a day and age where people did complain about those things because that seems to be um, more of a phenomena, an internet phenomena where people can complain about things uh, with no repercussions. So they will complain about things far more loudly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do like the look on the counselor's faces. That helps. The look, it really does. And the look on Bill's face in that scene after he just sort of brings that machete down over his shoulder, looks almost indifferent or kind of glad that he did it or something. And it's to put, give you the seed of doubt because one of the, the biggest things that you can forget about this movie because it is so ingrained it is so ingrained in our culture is that when people first saw this in 1980, it was a mystery about who the killer was. Yeah. 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 This is one of the, the added scenes by Kurtz. And I enjoy it very much, but don't you wish that was Winston? <laughs> Call me in gold, man, grass, hash, the weed, dig it. You know, he knows where all the best parties are. <laughs> he really, really does. It's such a weird scene to me. I know that Victor Miller had complained about this scene being added because it says it takes away from the 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 idea of it being very isolated because a, a police officer is able to get there. But it works very fine in my mind because it's it's the same but opposite thing where they they are very isolated. I buy that, and the cops are taken care of quite readily here and there. But the fact that there is help to be had just down the road it's sort of like the into the wild story where that gentleman died out in the bushes of alaska mm-hmm. from poisoned berries or whatever it was he ultimately died from mm-hmm. and to find out that there was a bridge across the river he thought he was trapped by maybe a mile down from his campsite so the safety was there which makes it all the more tragic the fact that winston here can just mosey on over to the camp leads you to believe that maybe there is that little bit of safety it just never comes uh, which okay. is so much more tragic in my mind. So I, I'm behind this scene. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I always think that it would be funny if he was pulling out on this scene that he just fucking wiped out. The actor had admitted that he had never ridden a motorcycle before. Oh, nice. So I just had this this idea of this police officer coming here with all this authority. And even as he's turning around, like he almost... Almost spills, yeah. Almost true. doesn't quite make it. Doesn't look cool, is what I'm saying. But as good as I would do driving that thing. Oh my god, better than me. I've fucking I've just gone right into the lake. <laughs> this scene really reminds me of my cottage because our kitchen doesn't look too dissimilar to that. Yeah, we had a cabin out in Restool that was owned by family members and sort of shared communally among a lot of family members. <laughs> Um, that looked really similar to this. Yeah. What do you figure Ralph was doing in the pantry just standing there for? <laughs> we could mix match it into the Overlook Hotel. He was hanging out with Jack. Oh, maybe. Maybe he was hungry. Oh, it's true. Let me guess. It's got a death curse. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And it Bye, makes you, Ralph. And it makes you wonder... Could Ralph be the killer? Maybe. People would even have thought that. He's the right age to have been around back then. Yeah. He seems to be genuinely crazy. He says he's a messenger of God. He's sneaky. And is he wearing a big ring? I don't know if he's wearing a big ring. I love how he 
really creeps around though. Like he's just so like an agitated cat. <laughs> just like getting onto his bike, looking around almost as if, is anyone following me? I would not be able to sleep well if this old guy had shown up at the camp that I was supposed to be staying at and told us that we were all doomed and then got away on his bicycle. By nightfall, I would be fucking paranoid. No, I wouldn't be too scared of him, you know. And I would, even though they don't show him as being a drunk, I assume that he's a drunk. Or I would assume if I were in their position and I'd be like, he'll be passed out somewhere in the bush in an hour. We're fine. (laughs) Definitely. And they've probably got shotguns. Yeah, they probably would. They must. They're (laughs) not used, but I mean, they just must. And if they don't, which probably, come to think of it, they probably don't. But they should, goddammit. Where are the guns? It sounds so very American of me, and I don't mean it like that. But was there a gun at your cottage for protection if there was a bear? No, we didn't have a gun at the cottage. crazy bastards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just had big knives, so maybe we're going to, like, knife a bear to death. Uh, have fun with that. Yeah. That'd be a story to tell the grandkids that time you rustle a bear and stuck a knife in its temple. Yeah, <laughs> sure, that'll happen. Yeah, no, we don't have any guns. Huh, well, I, I like that you don't have guns. Mm-hmm. It's very Canadian of you. Yeah. But for safety's sake, man, out in a place like this, especially for, for wolves and bears, really. Yeah, man, well, now I feel like I got to go get a rifle or something. This is one of the many examples about how I feel I'm useless in any situation. What do you tell? What the hell? I learned everything I need to know about generators from Friday the 13th. Are you serious? Yes. I One of the things, one of the last times I watched this movie with someone who had never seen it before, I had really commented about how this movie makes it feel as though all those millennial articles are right. Like, I just don't know <laughs> Can how to... you start a generator? Chop wood? Oh, hi, little beaver. Hi, buddy. <laughs> Yeah, all those millennial articles are right. You know, (laughs) they probably even know how to fold clothes and sweep properly, for crying out loud. Yeah, they probably do. I know that Alice, when she's doing her protection inside the cabin later, she's doing stuff that I would never even think to do. And I was like, oh, this is kind of clever. You know, this idea of of, uh, Marcy and and Jack being stalked by, uh uh-oh, it's just Ned. All those jokes are really just a defense for the fact that he just can't get laid. Isn't it always, though, with the nerdy ones? That's the thing. I mean, in the in the third one, Shelley flat out says that that's what his issue is. But this fucking guy, um, yeah, he, de- he definitely is. I don't know. Do you think he's got a crush on Nancy or Jack? Or do you think he just wants to get he just wants to get with Brenda I think he just has issues, man. He's an obvious uh, young Jewish man mm-hmm. that has uh, sexual problems, or at least horniness problems. <laughs> and he's wearing uh, a shirt that could be taken as a Hal Hitler shirt with the 8-8 on it, oh, which really? is just deeply confusing to me. And I don't know if that was something that was in wardrobe. Like, that's a wardrobe decision specifically. Oh, to or... me, it's just generic 80s. Everyone was on a sports team. There's <laughs> a number. Which fits, definitely. And the 88 shirt became quite popular and always has been. I was trying to figure out the origin of these no team sport numbered mesh shirts and stuff that people wore. I def- I 100% fucking had them. Yeah. I, a lot, I never did, but a lot of people did. And it 
I guess it's just like either you either went to the store and bought a shirt with a number on it because your hero Ned wore a shirt with a number on it or because you were on some sports team and that was your number or a friend of yours was or your brother was or it's leftovers from gym class like I don't fucking know where people come across these shirts naturally but I, I almost would think that he spawned a little more of a trend than there already was hmm just by being like an interesting character, kind of tragic character, a confused character that a lot of people could relate to, um, a Jewish neo-Nazi or not, <laughs> or whatever he is. Look, he's just a confusing character when you really, really shine a light on that. Yeah. But then if you don't, he's just sort of like a likable, tragic little fella. Yeah, really. These scenes, um, what I will give this film a lot of credit for, one of the things that I forget about it is they really do slow down and, and focus in on the characters a lot, allow them to have conversations. Marcy is able to have this conversation about being afraid of thunderstorms, right? And they do seem to genuinely like each other. And it doesn't seem forced. It seems genuinely genuinely natural yeah it's not just like hey we're we're teens and we're alone and it's getting dark let's fuck now they have like a relationship and they're Mm -hmm. and they all all they're all genuinely good people too yeah yeah they're not really it's it's one of those things like oh they're getting punished for for doing what Mm -hmm. and even though even the creators of this like victor miller has said and and even though some of the actors have postulated that they're getting punished for having sex because that's the the genesis of how Jason Voorhees would have died in the first place because people are off canoodling and therefore they died because of that uh, because of their negligence. Victor Miller like had said and Sean Cunningham even said that it's basically it comes down to the fact that people who aren't having sex aren't distracted and so it has nothing really to do with the fact that they're having sex it's just they're like not distracted and paying attention to their surroundings and they more. typically typically go off and split off from the group to be alone and that was a lot of the the 1958 death upstairs was mm-hmm. because they had gone off alone yeah well you know how sometimes you just are singing kumbaya and you get rock fucking hard yeah <laughs> that happens all the time Sexy sex scene. I know, right? I get to see Kevin Bacon take his shirt off. You know, Kevin Bacon had advocated recently for uh, more male nudity, frontal nudity in, in films and stuff like that, saying it's ridiculous that of the double standard. Of oh, the fact good. That, yeah. That there that there isn't any. And it's and and it is interesting because Kevin Bacon is one of those actors that I do uh, generally recall his penis because of the fact that he did Hollow Man and they would show his um not like Watchmen where they're doing like a Dr. Manhattan blue dick, but it was like his infrared dick was throughout the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I was, it's just, I was like, yeah, I guess Kevin Bacon's got a point. What do you think it is about cabins where people always feel they got to pull out a guitar? <laughs> I'm not quite sure. And I'm glad that he's just playing a song. Cause he's actually a pretty good guitar player. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I kind of enjoy this as far as there's a guitar in the cabin thing. There was a guitar in every cabin I've ever been in. I think, <laughs> Yeah, they got a taxidermied raccoon in here too. This is such I I really like this cabin. I really like the big fireplace. I really like the wicker furniture. The old yeah, piano. it looks like a lodge. The old piano specifically, and I think it's because you're going to be locked down here for months. And piano and guitar for musicians who 
can not only entertain but hone their craft or when they're bored or when they're reined in because the rain is a thing. And that's something that hasn't shown up yet in the video game that I've noticed. And I don't know if I've just not noticed it or if there isn't any, but I hope that there is, is the rain being such a, a character in Friday the 13th films, specifically this one. Do you think characters are going to be playing some strip Monopoly? I've never liked this scene. I like it. I'm, I'm a lot more at ease with it now mm-hmm. as a kid. Or now as a kid. Yeah, me now as a kid. <laughs> Very kid-like you are. No, I'm I'm a lot more comfortable with it now, even though it seems like a waste of time. And I still, but I still kind of grapple with like, why are they doing that? Mm-hmm. And I guess as a kid, I just tried to think like, well, I guess that's what adults do. And I was very uncomfortable with that. Because I'm like, look around at the adults I know and none of them are playing strip monopoly. Mm-hmm. I bet st- you know about. Well, I didn't, I wouldn't have wanted to know. My God. And who just does that? They don't know each other very well. What is the point of strip monopoly? To get people naked. Why? To, because it is just something that you do. I've played strip poker. My God, I just don't understand the point of it because uh, people genuinely know what humans look like naked. It's not like that fantastic. Oh, it can be. Poor Ned. No, that's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Old Neddy. I guess it's close to sex as you got. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and you get two different O faces. His, oh, oh, I'm dead. And her, oh, Kevin Bacon, you're such a piece of man meat. It's true. Well, I definitely get the 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 impression from Marcy and uh, Kevin Bacon that they that's a long that's a relationship that's been going on for a while. Maybe in young people terms, maybe yeah. they've been dating for like a year or two. Maybe oh, wow. they're pretty established them too. But yeah. I like you know I don't think of this necessarily as them being punished for having sex. No. I think if anything here, Kevin Bacon's about to be punished for lying about smoking and. They're going to be punished for playing Strip Monopoly by the wind itself. The w- <laughs> I, was, I, I, I get that real relief feeling when the wind stops that Strip Monopoly game. And not that I'm a prude. Not at all. It just seems like such a weird waste of time. And it's like, if you want to see each other naked, just say so. You don't have to play a game. What are you, for? Yeah, it's just, you know, a little bit of artifice. Yeah. A little bit of artifice to artifice around nudity. It's fine. People do it all the time. I'm a fan of Strip Monopoly. However, I do have one major complaint with the Strip Monopoly. Three people Monopoly game? Nah. Yeah. Yeah. That's not enough people. What if someone's being a bank? Well, yeah, I mean, that's fine. You can be the bank too, but, you know, four people, I think Monopoly is like a minimum four-person game. Really? Yeah. yeah. I only ever played Monopoly with my cousin Jason and once in a while my sister, but they, my sister or her sister, his sister were too young and we usually made them be the bank. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, yeah, I've never played it with Monopoly with more than one person. So, oh, really? Yeah. That seems like it would take forever. You know that uh, I had uh, watched this video recently about the idea that a lot of rules in Monopoly we fucking have made up over the years. Like, they're not in the official rule books at all. Mm-hmm. Like, passing go and you get $200 or something like that. That's not part of the rule book. Those little stubby beers. I found one of those. At my cottage one year. Oh, really? Yeah, we found one of those little stubby beers in in the woods. It must have been. Oh, you should have looked around more for a machete or a little wooden sign that said Camp Crystal Lake. <laughs> Absolutely. But we, we cleaned it off and it's uh, sitting on the, the shelf. We got an old stubby beer bottle on the shelf of our cottage. 
Thus brings us to what pretty much ends up in the top 10 kill lists of kills in definitely Friday the 13th movie, but sometimes in slasherdom entirely. Which gets less and less spectacular every time I watch it. I don't know why, but... I think, like, once you know how the effect is achieved of Kevin Bacon's, like, basically sitting under the bed with his head poking through, Tom Savini and his partner are bumping blood into the whole situation... Um, or just wanting it to last longer. Yeah, wanting to last longer. Well, I mean, even this movie is subject to cuts, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, even uh, even when they say they've restored a lot of these kills over the Friday the Thirteenth franchises, they're still been shortened, and and it can be really really frustrating because a lot in a lot of those cases, that stuff is just lost, right? Just absolutely mm-hmm. lost. Shadow play and outhouse fun. Oh, yeah. (laughs) This is... Outhouses are freaky. And they're usually stinky and closed and humid and gross. And I just don't like them anyway. Oh, yeah. Um, And this isn't an outhouse. This is like a bathroom area or shower shower room, house or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Water closet. (laughs) But... I, I can just smell it from here, you know? I don't like this scene. It is very tense. Like, I don't, not to say I don't like it. I like it because I don't like it. Because it makes me uncomfortable. 40 yards to the outhouse. Will he make it? Oh. It's like one of those. It, yeah, okay. It's, it's wordplay. Yeah. I've never gotten it until I just read it on the screen right now with the subtitles. Mm-hmm. Thinking, oh, will he make it? Got it. Yeah. Oh, that's absolutely ridiculous. That's cute. It is but cute. This is um if I were a camp counselor, which I get to be now that the game exists, I would always envision myself dying in a place like this, <laughs> for sure. Getting fucking macheted in the community outhouse. This is um Marcy's Catherine Hepburn impression, which is something that I've noticed. First of all, she does it or late earlier or previously in the movie too, she says Rocky Road like Catherine Hepburn. Um, but also I noticed that when we were watching My Bloody Valentine, our Canada Day episode last uh, year, uh, a character also does a Catherine Hepburn impression in that. And I'm just always curious. This is just like a thought that I have constantly when this scene happens about the idea of a young actress I guess just really liking Catherine Hepburn, that would be a, a bona fide movie star. That or a male screenwriter trying to inject some sort of femininity into something that maybe they aren't as knowledgeable about or maybe are very, very in tune with. Mm-hmm. And figuring that this is a line that this sort of girl would say. Mm-hmm. A former thespian, aspiring actress, that sort of backstory. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah, but this stalking scene is really great and one of my favorite moments in this entire film. Plus, the the visuals of you just have beautiful girl, panties, tight shirt, just stalking around. This is like Friday the 13th at its best. And I don't know. The panties thing's never really, you know, stuck with me. The only girl in panties that I really appreciate is Ripley. But, okay, yeah. yeah. I fun. mean, this would be some women in their house... If they were being stalked by maniac, could be caught wearing less. Which yeah, is that's true. Terrifying in a way. Good shadow play with the axe. Oh, it's there. so good. 
scream. Apparently, the idea of of hitting the axe against the light was to show that it had substance and weight to it or whatnot. And also Tom Savini wanting to know, are we doing a fake head and a real axe or a real axe and a fake head? No, real snake, real machete. <laughs> real snake. <laughs> mm-hmm. I wonder if, if, if Brenda was deliberately supposed to seem like older than the other campers. Yeah, because she does like look that. like 10 years, like a MILF. She's a total MILF. Yeah, absolutely. And there you go. Jesus has stopped their strip monopoly. Thank Christ, because it is just a waste of time to me. And I just, it, it always will sit very oddly with me. Like, why are they, don't they have anything better to do? And do they know each other as well? Are they trying to fuck? Like, what's going on here? Yeah. I don't get it. Well, that's what it is. It's just all about young, attractive people being naked around each other. Lydia. I love it. I'd be pulling out Lisa Simpson, and if anyone needs me, I'll be in my room. Yeah. Well, that's fine. Yeah. That's where, If that's where you're the happiest, that's where I want you to be. Yeah, I would not be happy anywhere around that table. <laughs> now they got all that money to pick up, for crying out loud. It is pretty ridiculous that they don't, that they don't pick up that fucking mess. That Brenda's just, oh, even though this was my idea, and I set up the board, and the only reason why this is all over the place is because of me... I'll see you guys later. Yeah. I'm out of here. It's funny to me that Steve is just, just like not coming back to the to the cabin. Would you want to hang out with them strict poker people? No. I yeah. guess not. I don't know. I think it is kind of weird, too, that he just what, sat there all day. Well, I think he had to go do some stuff in town, but then the idea is that he just doesn't... It just, to me, it, it has this impression of him sitting down at that diner and just... Oh, fuck. What am I doing with my life? What like Boulevard of Broken Dreams 20... out in the countryside. Well, they said 25 grand to to build up the ca- the camp as much as it has been. And now he's got like these kids in there. And his opinion is none of them know how to survive up there. They, they don't know what they're doing. So I'm just going to hang out here for hours and hours. <laughs> We'll just we'll just leave the camera on Sandy for a couple more seconds, and we're good. Apparently, this diner's still there. Oh, cool! Mm-hmm. I would go there. I mm-hmm. would go there. That would yeah. be fun. It would be really, really cool to see that again. It's just in the, the the upper area of New Jersey. It was a functioning camp. It was a functioning town. They just rolled in there and and shot what they could. Not unlike. Sleepaway Camp, which was also a functioning camp. And even in Friday the 13th Part 2, it was also a functioning camp. And it's one of the things that I always think is funny is, again, the idea of all the different ways that they try to have this happen in and around Camp Crystal Lake. But it's not always a camp. Or it's not always Camp Crystal Lake. Like In the second one, it's not Camp Crystal Lake. It's It's another camp. Like across the the lake, and then it's oh this this is a this is a summer home that's on the same lake as Camp Crystal Lake and so on and so forth. How old is Jason now? Jason, well, so let's say he died in nineteen. So in nineteen fifty eight, that's where Barry and Claudette were killed. 
Jason died the previous year. It seems to be not entirely agreed upon, but you could probably say that he was about 10 years old. Yeah, I see. that's what I've always just sort of accepted. So he's about 10 years old when he died. That means that by the time this came out, let's assume that June 13th, 1980 is when this story is taking place. So he was 10 years old. And so how old would that make him? I mean, really, he's got to be in his fucking... Well, by now, he's like an old, old man. Right? I think so. Does like bring the whole podcast to a close to do some math? Yeah, no, seriously. <laughs> so he was born in 1943? Yeah, probably. Well, or 1948 or something like that. 47, 48? Yeah, 47. I'd say 1947 he'd be born because 1957 he'd be 10. So there you go. Right? So he's 60? Yeah, he's got to be. But I mean, ultimately, in this movie, Jason Voorhees, by all accounts, is dead. Oh, yes. And so when he comes back, I mean, in the second one, he definitely seems like a person who would still be alive, I guess. Because, I mean, that's only 30 years. It's only 30 years. So he'd be in his 40s by the time the second one happened. But when he's definitively killed... He's basically a spirit of vengeance at that point. We have so much trouble due to this rain. I always like the idea of just this impossible storm that no one's prepared for. So Jason Voorhees would turn about 69. Because I would I would joke about what a 70-year-old guy stalking around. And I'd be making that joke about him being 70 years old for a couple of years. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Yeah, so it would be about that. I don't know. Rain gives people trouble, Wes. People, I don't like getting soaking wet in the rain. I don't even own a poncho because I think that's yucky. I we have ponchos at the cottage. Yeah, Yeah, I'm an umbrella. Don't have a gun, but we have ponchos. Good. Okay, at least you got something because I would have an umbrella. Mm -hmm. Mm Hmm. And that's it. I think just the idea of I I think that they they feel like they can just get away with it because it's the idea of all these city slickers don't know what rain is like in the woods. It basically just like the entire world comes to a halt. You can't drive a car, not in the woods, never in the woods. Can't drive a car in the woods, and you shouldn't even go from cabin to cabin because that seems like a huge ordeal. Seems like a colossal waste of time. You want to talk about a real waste of time? The one thing I really like about the rain, though, and the rain in the woods specifically, because it seems to rain heavier and for longer because of all the water hitting the leaves, right? So it just is noisier Mm -hmm. and it covers up so much of the sound. So Mm -hmm. it's just another level of them being sequestered, even though Mm -hmm. they're all together in this far off place, they are all kept separate because of the rain. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I'm going to like, just here's my candle going to one room with the other, or like, I'm going to read. So I need my candle going. I was like, this is like, fuck man. Watching this movie just makes me feel like a kid. Like, it really makes me feel like a kid. And not just a pizza-eating basement kid, either. Like, a, a, a 10-year-old out in the bush oh, at yeah, the cottage. At, at the cottage. Like, yeah. this is like this is what it was. It was candlelights and reading your book, and it's raining. And the, even the way that Marcy is describing the rain in her, the scene with Jack, 
about how it's like pebbles hitting the roof and how she could sometimes barely hear herself think because of the fact that it's so loud. And that's exactly how rain sounds at our cottage. Mm -hmm. We don't have a tin roof or anything like that, but it's, it's just so noisy, especially when it's raining really, really hard. So yeah, this, this stuff is just so fucking fantastic. Maybe that's why as I've gotten older and the the old days at the cottage are are behind me, I mean, we still have it, but I mean, it's, you can, you know, it's never going to be exactly the same. Um, maybe that's why, like, this is edged past other slasher franchises in my mind because it just reminds me of being a kid and not just, like you said, a little mole kid in the basement. A mushroom, as my mom called me. This is one of the big indications that something is seriously up unless whoever it is is very good at hiding their voice. Yeah, if it's someone throwing a voice or if there's, you know, you start thinking, like, is there someone else getting killed? Mm-hmm. Are they getting killed in the other cabin? Is there somebody we've forgotten about? Or um, the first girl whose name eludes me. Um, Annie? If Annie made it in the forest mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. if she's making her way to the camp with her throat slit, um, like... if with, if you've never seen this before, your mind is really racing about mm-hmm. who this is. Mm-hmm. It sounds almost like a kid. And then you think, is it is it this male killer? Which you're thinking if you're tricked into this yeah. thing, it's a male killer out there. Mm-hmm. Um, are they like disguising their voice as a female to try and draw her out? Mm-hmm. What what exactly is going on? If you think it's Steve. Yeah. Yeah. If you think it's Steve, although he's with the cop. But I mean, at this point, Alice, Brenda, and Bill are all separated. So we we and we don't know where Bill is. And this would also have to have this also this idea that someone would um, need to know their way around this camp very well. So again, that also points to Steve. Mm-hmm. But then Bill has also said he knows how to run the generator, and if he knows how to do that, maybe he knows how to do other stuff. But the crazy thing is that at this point, there are people who are dead at this camp and no one knows yeah because there could be like if if this was her she was like is ned fucking with me yeah and ned's dead (laughs) yeah and why wouldn't she think that ned was fucking with her because this guy literally shot a fucking arrow at her before yeah as a prank and here she is again getting scared and yeah alice is just now now it's her turn and this right here proves to you well the only other female we know of that's hanging around isn't out in the rain saying help me Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. who could it be who could it be yeah i think that um these moments of of alice just kind of keeping to herself staying occupied not really knowing what people are doing like i really really dig it And there's Bill. It's totally fine. He could have totally just terrorized somebody just now. Yeah, it's true. And it is suspicious that he's coming back. Oh, completely. Yeah, absolutely. And wearing a red rain slicker. Red. Red, like the color of blood with. <laughs> he's the killer. I know it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At this point, when we'd seen slashers before, we had, this is not the first time that we've seen mystery killers in a slasher movie. But this is... so. But because of the fact that we've seen that before, 
it's far rarer to see killers coming out of the woodwork that we haven't met already. So generally speaking, this movie was doing what it did, uh, what previous films have been doing. They're black glove killers. You would have some idea who this might be. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe we had met this character before. As opposed to what later ends up happening is we get, um, we just haven't gotten all the pieces of the puzzle. So it's like a yet. twitch of the death nerve scenario. Yes, like, yes, yes. death nerve. <laughs> My death nerves are twitching, Wes. Would you think that this axe and blood scenario was real? I feel like they're not sufficiently freaked out by this. So they must think that it's a bit of a... Ned tricks? Yeah. I'm just blame it all on Ned tricks. That's like the, the definitive of, it's not funny guys yeah right yeah it's not funny anymore uh it's that sort of trickster blaming everything on the trickster ned's been dead for quite some time yeah ned ned has been dead for a fucking bit but only we know that That so anything that is remotely strange or tricksy they they would generally be blaming on ned right Mm -hmm. i love this return to the bathroom yeah what i really love about this camp is the fact that we are constantly, it doesn't seem that big mm-hmm. because we're constantly going back to the same areas of the camp over and over and over again. So, I, and, and it really gives it a sense that, yeah, this place isn't that large. You basically have a bathroom area, you have counselor cabins, you have the office, you have the main cabin, which the fireplace and all that kind of stuff is, is in. And you probably have like a few other huts I mean, 50 kids, you probably have um, boy barracks and girl barracks, and that's pretty much what you would have. And 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 what I also like about this is how huge the outside looks now that you can't see anything. But in the daytime, you can see that the distance between cabins isn't really that far, and the lake's right there. And so the property isn't entirely massive, but at night... Everything is distorted. You can't tell how far things are away. Which is that sort of trick that actually genuinely happens when you're at a a camp like this. Everything does seem so very close together, but in the dark, it's completely different. And if you need something that's on the other side of the campground, it suddenly seems so very far away. And you get that experience in the video game. Yeah. Where you suddenly found a car battery you need and you got to lug it across the whole map. And it's not really that big at yeah. all, considering some of the very vast video games with like like world-sized maps oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that you're dealing with a, a map that's as big as like a house in a typical video game. And it just seems so far away all of a sudden. Or you lose sight of a cabin and all of a sudden it's like it doesn't exist or you can walk right past it, which is the reality of being on a campground at night. Mm-hmm. This is the idea of like Bill, also something somewhat suspicious of the character. Al is having the practical thing of let's leave. Yeah. Like right now, it's like we can't use the car. The phones have been cut. Yeah, something's happening. We don't know what. Let's get safe. Yeah. His attitude is, well, no, 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 no. Well, Steve is going to be here soon. So we'll just wait for that to happen. Well, here's our proof that it's not Steve again, because at the time, like when we're missing time, right? Well, it cuts away from Steve and then a bunch of mayhem happens and we have lost track of him visually if it's our first time watching this. And now we get a story of how there's lots of rapes and murders on Friday the 13th with a full moon. Okay. Yeah. Well, Steve, Steve even says, 
you're trying to make a, a science out of coincidence. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say that full moons making people crazy is exactly a science. It's more of a science than a coincidence because it is documented and does definitely, definitely guarantee it happen. Isn't it just because people can see more at night? It's partially that people can see more at night, but it is, you know, we're the whole, we're what, 90% water, 98% water, Mm -hmm. and the moon affects the tides, and it could Mm -hmm. very well do something to us mentally Mm -hmm. just because of the amount of water in our bodies and our brains. Physiologically, it could have some sort of effect that we don't entirely understand. Um, that and werewolves, like. Well, I think, <laughs> I think you're being superstitious and crazy. Obviously, it's because the planets are in retrograde. <laughs> and I'm being superstitious and crazy. <laughs> That's my Texas Chainsaw reference. Or it could definitely just be the power of suggestion. People think it's a full moon, mm-hmm. and they start to lose lose grip because they think the full mm-hmm. moon is influencing them. This is really nice. That that yellow rain slicker really does pop and i love how it looks so creepy at the end that was one of the things that would happen when i was up in my cottage all the time when when someone would approach you at and in the night and you don't really know who it was my dad would have people that would come and visit us sometimes and they would just show up after sunset and it would be so fucking creepy because this one person just kind of you hear the the bending of branches and the steppings on sticks and and, and shit like that. And who's there? And then it's not until they come to the light of the fire that you can even tell who the fuck it is because it's so dark. And I think one of the things is basically growing up as a, in the city really creeps me out about the woods is the fact that you dark in the woods is so different from dark anywhere else. Yeah, it's definitely true. There's no noise pollution. There's no other light pollution. You're not going to get a halo of light from anything, which is where yeah. I think they do very, very, very well in this film. Mm-hmm. Not having light pollution and not having unexplained light for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, things are well enough lit mm-hmm. that, you know, you, it does beg the question of where is this light coming from? Mm-hmm. Like even right now. But, yeah. you know, they do do a very good job of that because there is no darkness quite like that outer darkness where you literally can't see your hand in front of your face. Mm-hmm. You don't experience that in a city, even a small town. There is some sort of love, some level of light pollution um or a full moon like yeah like this apparently is but the rain and the clouds will be obfuscating the moon those naphtha lights that he's lent those are the exact ones that we had at the cottage growing up it doesn't look like he needs to pump those or if they pump them off camera because you don't really really sit a guy sitting you don't want to see bill for 10 minutes pumping these lamps and they could have been primed like it could be one of the chores that they do during Mm -hmm. the day prime everything for night so you don't have to yeah we definitely um, you would have to prime the, the lanterns, get them ready before it was dark because you can uh, you can't won't be able to see in front of your face. One time, my fucking dad lit his arm on fire. Nice, <laughs> good job. <laughs> Too much fuel spilt all over the place, yeah. and I, the guy had lit those lamps ten thousand times and never had a problem. And then one time, just fucking lit his whole arm up. <laughs> Scary stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think he up. wasn't a panicking type. No, he wasn't. He was patting his arm, and I grabbed. Uh, uh, I grabbed a sweater and s- s- snuffed it out, I think. I think that's how it went, yeah. Was it Pamela Voorhees' sweater? No, although that'd be really good. Freddie's sweater? No, that'd be even better. Does Michael Myers have a sweater? We don't know what he was dressed in before he robbed that guy to get his uh, onesie. Yeah, yeah. Or what he's wearing under the onesie. 
Yeah, we don't know. He spends a lot of time outside at night. He probably does have a nice sweater underneath the onesie. Probably. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Bill's back at the old generator. That's what you do. I checked the fuel, and now I know how to do that. Thanks. Thank you, Friday the 13th, for teaching me how to run a generator. I just wouldn't even know what the fuck I'm doing. I'd just be so fucking fucked. There'd be no other way around it. It's honestly not much different than starting a lawnmower. Well, I can do that. Then you could probably figure your way out. And if you had to, mm-hmm. if you had some some friend of yours cowering in it while well, she's sleeping. She's not she's really asleep. cowering. Yeah, but she's asleep. Yeah. I don't know. I still feel more comfortable there was some kind of app that I could use. My God. <laughs> oh, that's so good. And again, these these long scenes... Where you're, where where people are getting stalked, and like you're not really sure if something's going to happen because they've done scenes like this before where nothing happens. Or even when they return into the bathroom, and you're pretty sure they're going to find a body, and they just they just don't. They just don't. It's yeah. nothing. It's nothing, and it's so fucking supremely creepy because of the fact that we don't we know that there were bodies there, and now they're all just gone, like ghosts, mm-hmm. phantoms. Just where did the bodies even go? Which is also another thing, and, and there's another scene coming up not too long from now, really, um, that makes you, starts to convince you that this must be a man stalking them because, you know, as tough as these girls are, I can't see them dragging dead bodies around the cap, campground without somebody noticing them or without them making some sort of noise. Or would they even do that? I don't know. It seems impossible that they could stalk around completely silently. But also, like you were saying, the rain and then the muddy ground would obscure a lot of that. That dry gravel sound wouldn't be present anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's definitely insulating the sound from cabin to cabin. Mm-hmm. Even outside, you know, you're, you're hearing and this is, the sound is not traveling on the wind whatsoever in the rain. I love this scene of her making coffee. I know a lot of people complain about it. They say, oh, my God, this scene's so useless. What is she doing? But again... I'm coming from the perspective of sounds like my mom and dad making coffee in, in the morning to me. And she couldn't sleep, which makes sense to me. You know, she's not comfortable. She figures, well, I, I can't sleep, so I'm going to stay up. I'm on edge, mm-hmm. so I'm going to get even edgier by yeah. having a big cup of instant coffee. Yeah, it's like, but I'm yeah. going to make coffee for me. And this is the other thing. is like, we've the last time she opened up this pantry, fucking Ralph came out. And so you open this again, and you're like, oh! Like, the tension in this scene is so good. Why would people complain about it? They think it's a waste of time and yeah, they're the, the, stoked on strip monopoly? Yeah, I don't know. Like, the, 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 the complaints that I have heard is just that it seems like a waste. And I'm talking about people that I respect as horror critics. And people that like this movie. The people that yeah. like this movie, they always say, and this scene is just completely useless. Wow, really, eh? Because I think it's, it does a great tension building and it's oh, a very it's... good character study with her being like, mm. she is so in tune with everything going on around mm-hmm. her and is not comfortable sleeping. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I, I think it's it does a much larger service mm-hmm. than a And it's other. so realistic. People, I do this type of stuff yeah. when I'm yeah. on edge and I can't sleep. I think... Okay, I'll I'll fix myself something to eat, or I'll have a coffee, or or uh, something. Just and like having the coffee is more 
to give her something to do. I'm a very a make a coffee two in the morning can't sleep sort of person. I've really tried to break myself off that habit entirely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish she would have brought her coffee with her because that would be way more me mm-hmm. too to just like stumble around in the dark in a cabin with a coffee in my hand. Yeah. And also coffee, hot coffee. That's my, oh, my weapon number one. Like, exactly. Right. It's like if someone comes after you, you're just like, oh, I have a hot coffee. I bet you didn't know that. Now, now she decides to go to the the generator where Bill was and Bill just has his rain slicker. Thankfully, the rain has stopped. And then boom. Do you think that do you think that he was hoisted up there afterwards or somehow stuck to the wall at that height with arrows sticking in him? It's kind of hard to say. And, and they didn't have a lot of time either. So, so it would be like, okay, I killed this guy or and I hung him up or I need to hang him up. What I'm going to do is just, you know, Bill, you hang out here. I'll be right back. I got to go to the archery range because I didn't bring the arrows with me. Mm-hmm. Unless they did bring arrows with me and be like, who can I kill and stick up to a door with arrows? That'd be so cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then this this is where we get to see Alice in it's like she's scared, but she's instantly going to work. In panic and she's like but she's like, I got to use what's in front of me. Yeah. And that's one tactic, um and I'm no expert because I've only played the video game a couple times. But I I'd come to the conclusion that there's it's not as lucrative to go into a scenario with a plan, like, okay, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, to get away or survive. You've gotta like wherever you show up the first thing to your right you know try mm-hmm. and use that and then the next thing to your left can you use that and just gather things from as close of an area as you can instead of trying to formulate any sort of plan which is what she's kind of doing here mm-hmm. she just grabs the first thing rope yeah you know and grabs I, the next thing i think that the rope is such a clever the way that the door swings and she's tying this rope up to the ceiling, mm-hmm. basically, I was like, I, I don't know if I ever would have thought of that. But it's pretty good because when you're basically trying to barricade the door closed, it's just one extra thing to, to fucking work with, right? And it's not only like our horror slasher savvy here kicking in. But right away, I'm like, those windows are the first breach area. Mm-hmm. Why, like, the do- doing all of this at the door is wasting time and energy. Mm-hmm. You, you've done the rope and you put the trunk in the way. You've got all these windows. Get away from them. Yeah, absolutely. Now, she took the time to close one of the, the windows at the very least. But she didn't, um, but not the other one. Those remember, kind of storm windows are super flimsy. Oh my god! Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, like, like not to keep harkening back to it, but it's like, like my cottage. Those are the types of windows that are there. You could yeah. fucking smash those, no problem. And um, yeah, back into the kitchen. And again, this set that's reused so many times. So many times that this character and all the characters have been in this kitchen, and here we and now the kitchen is familiar yet creepy now because she's totally on high alert. She's just trying to figure out what has she got here? What has she got? Got a baseball bat? Got yourself a fork? All right. There you go. I don't, like, I, I guess the idea of close, making sure that at least the curtains are closed is, well, they can't see what I'm, they can't see that I'm there. Yeah, I can't see what room I'm in if mm-hmm. they decide to come into a window. Mm-hmm. I would just probably get out of this cabin and I'd probably feel safer in the brick enclosure of the bathroom. Yeah. Oof. 
Nice. Now, we don't actually ever see what kills Brenda, although we could assume she just got, like, bashed in, but. And this is, like, the realization that she's having where, oh, God, it's not just Bill that's dead. It's probably everyone that's dead. I might be the only person left in this camp. And it really is, what I guess is not talked about enough is how fucking weird that would be where you have no idea what's happening. Like, just no fucking idea whatsoever. Just all of a sudden, people are just dead. They you they went missing, and now they're all dead. And there's no one for her to talk to about this, right? There's no one for her to turn to and say, do you think it's Ned? Do you think it's Steve? What's going on? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Where, Like, what are the chances the police would show up? Mm-hmm. No, none of that. I find that a lot of times in horror, in modern slashers, people... People are more in groups aware of what's happening and they're running and trying to get away. And then through that, they'll get separated, et cetera, et cetera. But in older slasher films, I don't correct me if I'm wrong, but so many times most characters die having no idea that anything was ever wrong. Yeah. And it's the last person that figures out everything uh, that's going on and of course and then we get an introduction of a whole new character which is such it seems like something out of italian film or something else mm-hmm. like it's a european film tactic you know in a way or at mm-hmm. least it strikes me as such it's like a whole fucking new character mm-hmm. betsy palmer doing hundreds of roles before this but really goes down in history with that introdu- introduction i'm mrs Voorhees. Some of her lines in this are just so, so iconic, too. Yeah. Just his name was Jason. His name That's... was Jason. Today's his birthday. He wasn't a very good swimmer. Everything, a killer mm-hmm. mommy. It's it's absolutely uncanny. Apparently, she had done this role to buy a car. Oh, she, well, good she, job. <laughs> she wanted to, She one of her cars, her one of her cars, her car broke down. She wanted a new one, and she said she got a call from her agent that the actor that they got to play Mrs. Voorhees beforehand had to leave because of a scheduling concept, and they were going to pay her basically what it would cost to buy that car that she was looking at. So she's like, oh, sweet, I can do this movie. And she and and she thought after reading the script. She, I'm sorry. I just I love this overacting of, oh, God, this place. And it's like, well, you are hamming it up for not our benefit, but for hers. Oh, yeah. Oh, what kind of monster did this? So young. Oh, I God. did this, though. Yeah, which is hilarious. When you know, it's doubly hilarious. Oh, yeah. And And she thought that no one would ever see this movie. She thought that this movie would be made and come out and vanish like so many. People drive in, throw away. Yeah, and and then she said that uh, later on in her life, because she died just uh, a couple years ago, um, but um, that she really embraced it afterwards. But uh, it it was always strange to her because it was such a footnote in her massive career, but it became this thing that people were just obsessed with. And you wouldn't know it. You know, you wouldn't know that she wasn't 100% sold. You wouldn't know that she wasn't a fucking horror fan looking at this. You wouldn't know that she... It's like, like, look at the look on her face. I can't wait to buy a new car. <laughs> you know, is that what her motivation is here? No. Her motivation is that she has just slaughtered people for the memory of her son mm-hmm. who was 
who died tragically at the hands mm-hmm. of people just like this. Mm-hmm. You know, her she's dialing in her motivation for somebody who thought, meh, this is a little throwaway film. It's, mm-hmm. it's a good paycheck for now. Mm-hmm. It'll well, probably go nowhere. That's what happens when you get... I mean, at the end of the day, she's a goddamn professional. She's a goddamn professional. So she, even if she didn't really think the script was all that hot, she was going to come in here and she was going to do her job, right? She was going to do her absolute best. And this is where you get the rest of the the storyline and what's fucking delicious about this. First of all, I love that sweet old lady lift up your sweater. Bowie knife. Fucking Bowie yeah. knife. I'm like, oh I, my God. I like that it is like the campfire story in reverse because we didn't get all of this at the beginning at all. We mm-hmm. get the campfire story at the very end after mm-hmm. we've already been traumatized. And it's funny from this movie on, from the, from the sequel on, they will start the movies with this story that she's yeah. basically told. With his name was Jason. Aww. In the car, dead bodies are always my favorite. So she's been driving around with this dead body. I like, guess she's been like 14 Annie, hours Annie, now. Been, at least they, you know what? At least they didn't leave her poor body in the woods. There's Steve. <laughs> and this is like, it's like, you know, she must be pretty stout of a, of a person. There's a lot of heavy people that she's just yarding up trees and, and putting anywhere that she damn well pleases. So, you know what I would love to see? What's that? Is a story done from Pamela's point of view. And I think it would be a lot like a headless with a little bit less of the people peeing on one another and body pit. Well, maybe she has a body pit. But I would love to see this night from Mm -hmm. Pamela Voorhees' perspective and what she had to go through this evening and what she was haunted by all night Mm. that drove her to do these things. And then we get a lot more killer point of view and we get a lot more, um, like, their point of view that kills, which is what we get, but, I mean, like, it would be a lot more drawn out Mm -hmm. and the setup and what, you know, her dragging bodies around, what sort of tomfoolery did she get up to in between? (laughs) I think it would be really fascinating to see this story told. From Pimla's perspective. Well, look, you got your gun. Finally. Finally, got your gun. Useless gun. Useless gun. I would assume that they have the archery range. They have that. They probably have a shooting range that they double with it. Yeah. So because there's there's many guns there. I think it's just a matter of she's not even little really... tiny rifles for squirrel hunting. Yeah, basically. I mean, it's going to do something, right? I mean, even if, even if you couldn't find bullets for those things, which you definitely would want, it is a piece of metal and wood. You can yeah. clock someone with it. Guns are pretty heavy. Um, At that point, you could probably... Well, it's not a shotgun, but you could probably put something, any projectile into it. If it's an air rifle, you could put any projectile into it. I'm not I'm not keen on guns, so I don't know what kind it is. Mm-hmm. This is where I, I like playing a little bit of possum. Uh, maybe, I, maybe this is loaded. You don't know. Yeah, that's where the you, you take the the sound of killer and mommy and you put it through the echoplex. echoplex, yeah, and you get that iconic sound, that stalking sound. I like the idea of it's like she's just throwing. And again, it's that attitude. It's like whatever, whatever I can throw at her. But but again, it comes to this idea of dealing with a woman who is drunk on her own madness mm-hmm. and is absolutely ready to kill. Now, apparently, in these scenes. Uh, Betsy Palmer was actually slapping her because that's how they do it in stage production. They just actually smack it and 
Which is awesome, and it reminds me a little bit of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where yeah. you're you're worried you're going to hurt the other person because you kind of are. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. but it works. It works. You know, same as killing a snake. Everyone looks a little bit shocked and mortified and bad because they just killed a snake because they really did actually just kill a snake. Mm-hmm. She looks like she's a, a violent bitch because she's fucking hitting somebody. That's you know, it translates so mm-hmm. much better. The difference when you first encounter. Mrs. Voorhees, Pamela Voorhees, and she's so sweet and so soft-spoken. And then, I still think that she's just faking it. Oh, of course, like, of course, oh, she's faking it. What kind it. of monster did this? Of course, yeah, she's faking it. But she you, is like a, a trustworthy. Yeah, the, which is why you can get that that idea of of how Annie would have been at ease with her in the car because if she was speaking her speaking to her in that motherly tone, yeah, then you would have instantly relaxed because. That's not. This is not the type of person that people are told to watch out for when they're picking you up. Like, no, especially the, if she would have said, "I'm an old friend of the Christies. You're going to Camp Crystal Lake. Great. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. that place doesn't have a death curse." Oh, I'm not afraid. It's so crazy. These scenes are great. The idea of having her speaking for Jason. Yeah. So good. Yeah. So unbelievably good and so effective. And- Harkens to Psycho in so many ways, like opposite ways, but mm-hmm. it does. And I, but then, okay, so if if Jason does exist and he lives in his cabin there, mm-hmm. how come they never bumped into one another? Yeah, it, listen, the 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 funniest thing about this entire franchise is about how it makes no effing sense and no. how and how it's not anything. Other than a line that they say, well, that some folks say that Jason was still out there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Some some say that he comes back and and haunts these grounds. So is he a ghost? Some say he is. We was don't... it his mother's death that had him rise in the watery depths? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he instantly aged like 20 years like, or something and then went and lived in the cabin? I have always been under the impression that what Jason Voorhees is, and we've talked about this before over drinks and shit a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. But what Jason Voorhees is, is a, is a vengeance spirit. And... As a kid, he was weak and he was helpless and he drowned. He wasn't a good swimmer. He couldn't fend for himself. Like Ned. Yes, he was picked on relentlessly. He was deformed, so yeah. And so when he died, his spirit lingered in that lake. And when his mother died, the the rage, the, the this perceived injustice manifested the spirit of Jason, which was always there, and gave him this meat body, this rotten meat body. He's not rotten in the first couple movies, but he gets there. But this rotten meat body to give him the strength and the power that he did not have in life. And and we see that in ghost stories in Japan yeah. constantly. Yeah. So I don't think it's too... Unusual. And they are eternal and of supernatural strength. So all yeah. of those things very fit very, very, very well with Jason mm-hmm. Voorhees. Uh, it's kind of fascinating that all of that came as a, you know, happenstance and afterthoughts. Yeah. It wasn't like the plan when they were no. making this film. And it really is. Uh, Victor Miller had talked about how it's reverse psycho. He basically, instead of Norman Bates surviving while the mother died... It would be almost like if Norman Bates died and the mother survived, what would that have created? And it would be something probably not too different from this. Her, The look on her face when she comes through that door is fucking great. Yeah, you got kind of like um, Jack Torrance 
look, here's Johnny. It's almost like you expect her to say, here's Johnny. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I used to think that it was ridiculous that one hit on the head from a frying pan would knock you out like that until I had held an iron skillet in my hand for myself. Oh, you'd never hefted one until that point? I never hefted one until I was an adult. And even now... um, like, I cannot believe the weight of those things. Oh, yeah. I know. I grew up with cast iron uh, cooking. Mm-hmm. And we have my, – my dad still has a like cast iron cookware. My sister got a cast iron cookware set for, as a wedding gift. Like, that's – my uncle has – like, it's a family thing. I don't know if it's just a German family thing mm-hmm. that it's cast iron stuff. Because I dated a German boy ages ago. Um, and his family did the same thing with cast iron cookware. Um, oh, yeah, they're fucking crazy heavy. Yeah. You can get aluminum ones that are cast iron coated, which look like that, but they're not even a quarter of that, mm-hmm. of the weight. Oh, it's it's uncanny. It is. It is. It's almost like holding a 10-pound sledgehammer. Oh, absolutely. And so I, I remember the first time I hefted it, I even said out loud, I take back thinking it's ridiculous. Because yeah. it would, you could crack your skull open easily. One, one hit, you'd yeah. be done. If you can, if you can lift it properly, you know, if I've seen some very oversized ones with long, long handles and you can't hardly lift it off of a stove with one hand. It's so heavy. I love this fight so much. I love that downward strike with the broken oar. Yeah, she tries, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because, because you know, I'm like, man, Ms. Ms. Pamela Voorhees is a killer straight up. Yeah, relentless so, killer. So you really have to be on your toes. And this this sequence where she's basically just, I'm just going to fucking bang your head against the ground. It's not hard enough. Damn That's it. I'll choke you. I'll do anything to kill you right now. Yeah. Which you, it definitely translates. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. I, I like this reminds me quite a bit of the end of Sleepaway Camp. Just yeah. that it all takes place on the beach, right? And on the beach, slow motion, mm-hmm. boom. This decapitation. Deca- decapitation. I love the... I love that you can still see the toothpicks that were holding the the head together there. That, of course, is uh, Tom Savini's partner's hands, not uh, Betsy Palmer's. Uh, Very famous little bit of uh, trivia there. And she manages to do it. It's such a great decapitation. The head spins a little bit. The thing I like the most about that is that the the clutching hands Mm -hmm. is is almost giving the words to Betsy Palmer that we're not able to hear because her head's been cut off of Mm -hmm. like, oh, why? Why couldn't I just kill this one last teen? She was the last one. Oh, it was so close. Curses. (laughs) Curses. It is that. It's very cartoon super villainy. It always confused me about why Alice would get into the canoe after she had killed Pamela Voorhees. Safer? You think so? Oh my god. Oh my god. It's like I basically think of it like if the whole campground was on fire, where would I want to be? Mm-hmm. And it feels like it's on fire right now because everyone is fucking dead and I can't trust anyone. And mm-hmm. I don't there's not I don't know what vehicle to get in. She could have gotten to her Jeep, but who knows if there's more of them out there. Mm-hmm. I like just too terrifying. You can hear someone coming if you're in the middle of the lake in a canoe. This sequence People have credited them themselves. Like different people have taken credit for the scene. Everyone from uh, Kurtz to uh, Don Kurtz or Ron Kurtz or whatever, and uh, Tom Savini, Sean Cunningham. But it basically all kind of stems from the same thing. They saw Carrie, and the and the ending of Carrie that has this dream sequence, where Sissy Spacek's hand comes out of the rocks. They were basically again saying, 
Let's, let's, rip, that let's rip that off. That yeah. was really effective. I had never seen this movie until a couple of years ago with a person who genuinely had never seen this before, had no idea that Pamela Voorhees was the killer, had no idea that this jump scare was coming. And the authentic reaction I got from that was fucking priceless. And for a brief moment, I could imagine, I could imagine what it might have been like to see this in 1980 with no internet and no magazine and nobody telling you anything. Like the 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 squeal from this woman's mouth was crazy. Oh, I could believe it. I could believe it. Um, especially because they do such a good job for the person seeing this for the first time of having her, you know, relax and then everything ramps up and then such. she relaxes and everything ramps up. So this is like the third time and final time you think this is really it. We're going to get to relax now. But no. And I remember being like maybe like 14 or something, 14 or 15 years old. And watching this again and tensing up, even knowing that that's coming and being like, oh, God, I hate this so much. I hate this (laughs) part. And I know it's going to scare me. And did sort of like the wolf popping up in the window in Company of Wolves. Kind of makes me jump every time. That was one of those things that make me jump every time. It's so much easier without volume. It is. Because, again, the music is so different. It's light. And flowing and almost uh, tranquil. Yeah, and it's a beautiful song. Really. It's a beautiful song. And again, like so many scenes in this, they pull the taffy on it to the point where you you think, okay, yeah, it is over. It is okay. I, I gotcha. I understand. I actually feel relaxed. Yeah. Okay, here's the cops. Everything's over with. And they tr- they duplicated this ending numerous times throughout the franchise, but it has never been this effective. Yeah, the boy, the boy. We're getting all quiet because we're like getting into like the last iconic. Well, the sincerity on her face, yeah. you know, like there's some. I always get sort of transfixed by the end of the howling too, when she's mm-hmm. transforming on the TV screen and listening to what she says because it is so very touching and it's the mystery will will forever continue, right? And especially then he's still there. That line, I even just reading it, I got chills because. It, the implication is so huge. And by the time I watched this movie for the first time, there was 10 of these fucking movies. Yeah. Which Almost. you're like, oh, I'm so glad he's still there. Yeah. What I'm confused about is why she's wearing mascara. Well, you know, maybe cute doctors around. You never know. It's funny because when you lean into the water and you have those, those, I always thought that the, that was like fish or something. But people, all, people are kind of like, oh, maybe that's like air bubbles from Jason underneath the oh, water. Oh, that's what I assume right away. I, yeah. always, I always just assume that it was just uh, like bugs on the water or something. It's one of my favorite things about the new game. And I just, I feel like I've gone on a lot about the game. I know I've only said a couple things about it, but I feel like I just keep going. And the game. And the game. Because I am excited and it is interesting. But um, when you can move as Jason through the water... I highly recommend that because it's fun. And it like there's a lot of things about the game is fun, obviously, because I've used that word like 15 times to explain it. Mm-hmm. But uh, he moves very quickly through the water, like Juggernaut moves through the water. Okay, yeah. Yeah. One of the few X-Men references. That That's I, good. That's I good. Yeah. I, like, um, I like that. Ari Lehman as the, the kid Jason. That dude loves to go to the, the, the con circuits. That's what I've heard. I'd have never known what he looked like if it wasn't for television documentaries. I, I, Met him what, last year at Fan Expo, 
And uh, he sat next to me at the bar and uh, because I was staying in the same hotel as he was. And I looked over at him and I was like, who's this guy? Who's this guy? <laughs> he looked like somebody. You know, when you're at a convention um, and I was there as a guest, so you get to stay in the hotel with like the guests and shit like that. Um, when somebody is famous, they 100% look famous to me. Like they don't look like a regular person. There's something about the way that they're dressed or the way that they quaff well, their I hair. I don't know. Bill Mosley always strikes me as just some dude. I disagree. But the point is, is like when I looked at this guy, I was like, this guy's somebody. This guy's 100% somebody. Look at his mustache and his hair. He's like a skinny Ron Jeremy. Something. He's got to be somebody. Like, yeah. Or a, like, a, a, some, like a weirder looking Kurt Hammett or something like that. I was trying to really put my finger on what he looks like. And, and and then and then he was then when he started talking, he's like, "What are we drinking here today, guys? What are we drinking? Well, I'll have that, you know." And I, I was, "Oh my god, it's fucking you!" And yeah, so and he loves to talk about Friday the Thirteenth. That's cute. That is cute. Yeah, he wears fingerless gloves like a real, a true, a true American original. An American original that yeah. he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, as we were talking. The credits rolled up and we're done. We're out of here. So we did it. We got. So, so you liked it? It was a good movie. Did you like it, Wes? I think, yes. I think one of the things that um, as the years roll on and as sequels get churned out, and I know that there is a lot of talk right now about will there ever be another Friday the 13th movie ever again? And people are saying, oh, my God, because of the rights issue, it will happen. It may not happen anytime soon, but it'll happen because there's always money to be made with this character. For better or worse. But what I think is important to remember is that we have lots of fantastic iterations of this character already. So don't always worry so much about when the next one's coming or if it's coming because I sit back and I watch this movie and I'm happy. I'm just, I'm relaxed. This movie makes me feel better when I'm having bad days. This movie is comforting to me in in a multitude of ways. Not only the good memories I had when I watched it for the first time, kids talking about Jason Voorhees on the playground, the idea that it was a horror movie that you had to see. And, and, but not only the fact that it reminds me of my cottage and being a kid growing up so much, like on top of all of that, it's a fucking masterstroke of a slasher film. It is worthy to be part of the holy trinity of slashers. It is not the lesser of anything. It is as good as the others. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just, it's, it's a masterpiece. Like, I don't know how else to say it. Like, I could gush about this movie forever and about every little scene, and I really appreciate you doing a commentary track and allowing me to, like, talk about this. And, yeah, and no, it was like super fun. I certainly don't mind. And as far as the commentary tracks go, this one really lends itself to it. Yeah. Not only because we've seen it so many times, there is so much to talk about, even though it's just a little slasher. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. It is that huge of a film to us, and as huge of a film to horror. Mm-hmm. I think that... When you're talking about what horror can do for people and and this movie for so many horror fans is a gateway drug because mm-hmm. it was so big. It was a little movie, five hundred thousand dollars. Doesn't seem it seems like a lot, but it's really not in terms of old school movie making. Makes almost forty million dollars at the box office, universally panned by critics. This is my primo example about how 
critics are irrelevant. And some people get fucking butthurt when I say that, especially the fact that we come from a podcast where we review movies, we talk yeah, about movies. That or everyone's a critic now because everyone can own a blog and they've got their little Facebook so that they can like spout off about everything, like it, their opinion matters. It, exactly. But and, even a high paid movie critic, like an actual movie critic, a paid mm-hmm. movie critic, their opinion really doesn't It do does much. not fucking affect anything. All that matters is if people go to see this movie and people want to see this movie. Now, yes, a huge factor of that was because of the marketing muscle that Paramount put behind it. They put this, they put the marketing muscle of this film that they would put into a, a multi-million dollar blockbuster. Well, be- some of the, the marketing, if you want like an example, like there's millions of examples, but I, one that comes to mind right away is Saw. Yes. The Saw franchise got a lot of push, a lot of push. Yep. The people yep. that aren't even into horror or watch mm-hmm. Saw films, for crying out loud, and it was everywhere, and the billboards were 45 feet high. And, yeah. You know, even in little towns, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. always struck me as very strange, the amount of money they put into that, the Saw franchise. But this is like a study in how to market a film. Um, Just bare bones how Mm -hmm. to market a film. No fun tricks, no fun Blair Witch tricks, Mm -hmm. but just straight up, you know, you you have radio spots, you have... um, Buy space in the newspapers, buy full pages in newspapers. Yeah, print and advertising costs. They, he, Sean Cunningham was printing advertisements for this movie before they had a script. Yeah. Posters, posters were readily available to anyone that wanted them. Um, a lot of the advertisement was taken out beforehand. Yeah, when they're still in concept, mm-hmm. that's the way to do it. You know. Yeah, and and uh, Sean Cunningham said it himself that the the most important thing is to make money, and then once you make money, then you get opportunities. When you've proven to the suits that your ideas have financial merits, now. You know, people would go on and these sequels would, would continue and to varying degrees of quality. I know people have problems with others, but that being that being said, I know people who much prefer the later entries, who think yeah. those are the quintessential ones, right? Everyone has their favorite Friday the 13th. Um, and, 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 and in a way, it is fun to do the first one just because it doesn't have a hockey mask in it. It doesn't have Jason Voorhees really in it, except for in a dream sequence and a flashback. Mm-hmm. And and it really good, but but so much of it feels still like the Friday the Thirteenth franchise. It just doesn't have that gitchy marketability that like here's the here's the the hockey mask that I can wear at Halloween. Yeah, aspect everyone's to it. running and he's just walking. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have that. <laughs> yeah. But you, you see that he learned everything he knows from his mom. One of the best killers of them all, mm-hmm. and truly, truly runs in the family. Yeah, yeah. or walks in the family. <laughs> So, what do we got next for him? Coming up next, we have Tales from the Dark Side, which is going to be super crazy fun. Yeah. That's going to be good. Older throwback anthology horror. I love anthology horror films. You do. So, yeah, I've been looking forward to doing this one for quite some time. And it comes on the heels of a similar request. Right after that, we'll have Tales from the Hood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, we've got some anthology movies all squished up together. Yeah, yeah. We're going to try to knock out some more of our fan-requested films. Um Thank you guys for listening. Uh, if you guys ever want to request anything for us to do, please hit me up on Twitter at Wes Deadair Nipe. You can also find Lydia at Typical Lydia. You can also comment on our spottedpictures.net homepage, or also we have our Facebook page. Just search for Spotted Pictures and you can find us there or on our SoundCloud account.
which uh, all this stuff gets uploaded. Or iTunes, if you want to leave a review on iTunes, or if you want to hit us up on Stitcher. Does Stitcher have a, a, a communication thing? Yep. Well, you can thumbs up or star or a like or whatever. Oh, good. Yes, then do and that. And on top of all of that, no matter where you listen to us, just uh, share it with other people that might enjoy the show. Yep, that's a, a huge help. And yeah, the next time we'll be doing commentary tracks will be in October proper. Yeah, we haven't fully decided what we're going to be doing, but you'll find out sometime around then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I got some ideas. I got some fun ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't wait to hear them. <laughs> I'm Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to the Friday the 13th commentary track on Dead Air. Just wait.